All right. Well, let's go ahead and get started tonight. Uh, we will get into our um, study. We're going to pick up again over there in the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, I know that we kind of sometimes have been on and off again, things uh, dealing with that, but uh, um, I kind of want to get through a little bit more so we can uh, begin wrapping the book up itself. Uh, we're going to be in chapter 7, and that's where we left off. We left off right around that verse 13. And uh, we were talking about wisdom, talking about money, both can be used as a defense, but one, only one is the one that gives life, and that is wisdom. So um, we're going to take a look, though, at uh, the work of God, which is part of the continuation of the wisdom that uh, Solomon is talking about, and uh, that wisdom is, um, if you will, dealing with meditation and consideration. Um, to really truly stop and think about what God is doing, what God has done, uh, to consider his works uh, is a very important aspect of the Christian life. Uh, failing to do that it leads us to malcontentment, it leads us to an unthankful spirit, um, and it can lead us to, if you will, sometimes a bit of uh, Christian complacency. So we want to make sure that we're constantly thinking about what is God trying to tell me? What is God teaching me? What is it God that is revealing himself to me? So we want to, to look at some of those things um, tonight. Let's go ahead and start with a word of prayer, and then we'll get into uh, verse 13 here in earnest. Dear Heavenly Father, again, we are very thankful to be here. And again, Lord, we're very thankful to be here on a Sunday and uh, just to enjoy all that you've given us. And Lord, I just pray that as we... Um, seek your uh, wisdom from the scriptures that, Lord, as uh, you've used Solomon to pen these things, that we may learn from them. The Lord, your Holy Spirit, would teach us the understanding of them, that we would uh, take what we have learned and what we know from you, and, Lord, we would apply it to our lives to use it in a way that would glorify, honor, and praise you. I pray, Lord, that we would do that tonight, just keeping in mind, Lord, how we can do that by listening and uh, by heeding your word, that, Lord, this time would be honoring and pleasing to you. I pray, Lord, you just be with my lips and my mouth and my mind, that it, all that is said would be for your honor, glory, and praise, that, Lord, your uh, instruction would come forth, and that we would have a very clear understanding of this. Again, Lord, I just uh, thank you for those that are here, and I pray that this time would be uh, just uh, a time of learning according to your word. And this I ask in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. So here we are in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, and uh, we're, we're, we're talking about um, uh, exactly uh, these things that uh, bring about that good name, the, the um, uh, how to, if you will, do what God tells us to do um, about what is good for his life, the question that was asked in chapter 6. And we, we, we've talked about this wisdom in money, if you will, in verses 11 and 12. But in verse 13, here Solomon says, Consider the works of God, for who can make that straight which he hath made crooked? And as we kind of continue on through the rest of this passage, we'll kind of move down here a little bit further. It says, In the day of prosperity, be joyful, but in the day of adversity, consider... God hath also set the one over against the other to the end that man should find nothing after him. In all things I have seen 
in the days of my vanity, there is a just man that perisheth in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man that prolongeth his life in his wickedness. Be not righteous over much, neither make thyself overwise. Why shouldest thou destroy thyself? Be not over, uh, over much wicked, neither be thou foolish. Why shouldest thou die before thy time? It is good that thou shouldest take hold of this. Yea, also from this withdraw not thy hand. For he that feareth God shall come forth of them all. So we, we kind of see him summarizing some of these issues of wisdom and consideration uh, kind of wrapping it up with this concept of we have to consider the Lord in all of it. Uh, this is not one of these passages that, uh, that we've seen before where uh, it really wasn't the Lord being brought into it till later on, but this is very much where we're starting to see Solomon picking up steam about how this life is all about God, and it comes to that conclusion that we see over in chapter 12. And here he is, he's, if you will, kind of giving a little bit of a preview of that in verse 14, excuse me, verse, uh, um, I gotta take my glasses off to see that, verse 18. <laughs> um, and he makes it very clear that, uh, um, that this is about the fear of God. If we sit down and we start thinking about all of these things, it's going to promote and prompt that fear of God. That was one of the reasons why I wanted to quickly go through and talk about what the fear of the Lord really means. So as we start realizing that, and we're talking about the awareness of him, uh, and, and if you will, moving us to, to, to a certain action and a certain response uh, with this fear, the same thing is specifically found when we fear God, we are supposed to do certain things. So as we talk about this in chapter, thir- or chapter 7, verse 13 and verse 14, he talks about consideration. Consideration. If there is one thing that is uh, painfully evident today is there is a lack of people thinking about what they say and what they do before they actually say it and do it. Um, they don't take time to ponder their actions. They don't take time to ponder the consequences. They don't take time to to consider others in the, the mindset. We talked a little bit about that with Sunday school this morning about uh, how uh, how even though in that case study we were looking at the parents' response about kind of, if you will, not talking about it and kind of shoving it to the side so that the daughter would avoid uh, any shame or guilt was not the proper response. The proper response was to consider the rest of the congregation in the matter and let them come alongside and teach and edify and instruct both not only the the uh, the, the the young woman and her soon-to-be um, baby that was born, as well as the parents, but it also gave other people that opportunity to fulfill the will of God. So, as we think about this here, consideration is something that is often lacking in even a Christian's life. So here Solomon says, you know, uh, as it kind of connected to some of this wisdom, he says, consider the work of God. Consider the work of God. Um, if we were to sit down and consider everything that God has done, uh, I, I will tell you this, it will take most of your day, and I don't think you would even exhaust a sixteenth of it to me. And, and that's even a very, very broad number uh, because if we were to sit down and just consider how great a salvation we have, 
if we were to sit down and consider uh, what God has given to us, if we were to consider uh, just the works of his hands and the handiwork that we see here, uh, you know, in, in here in Ridgefield, we've got a little bit less light pollution than normal. So it, when we first moved here, we could stand out on our back porch, turn the lights off, just look up, and eventually you just start seeing stars and more stars and more stars and more stars. And you realize how amazing it truly is. You, you you get to sit there and consider all of the things that God has done. I mean, you, even if you were to whip out, uh, you know, one of those uh, um, astronomy telescopes and start looking at the planets and start looking at the moon and start looking at, at various different things, you begin to realize that all of that put together is an amazing thing, including the human body. But in today's day and age, people don't consider that. They don't consider God at the fo- forefront. They don't consider God in any of their works. They don't consider God's work in their own life. And when we, we look at this, this is one thing that Solomon truly wants us to begin to understand. Truly wants us to begin to understand because he's like, if, if, if you're doing, you know, if you're trying to do something that is against what God's work is, it's a futile attempt. It's a futile attempt. Turn over to a couple of passages. Go over to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4. And in Deuteronomy chapter 4, again, we have this, uh, um, uh, if, if you will, commission to the nation of Israel to do certain things. And in Deuteronomy chapter 4, and in verse 39, God says this, he says, Know therefore this day, and consider it in thine heart, that the Lord, he is God in heaven above, and upon the earth beneath, there is none else. Thou shalt keep his statutes, and his commandments, which I command thee this day, that it may go well with thee, and with thy children after thee, that thou mayest prolong the days, thy days upon the earth, which the Lord thy God giveth thee forever. You know, in this day and age, there's a lot of things that we see out there on the internet. And if you've spent any time kind of browsing around, you'll, you'll find that you can find just about anything out there. Up to and including individuals that video recorded themselves, or I shouldn't say video record, digitally record themselves, uh, doing stupid things, stupid things. Uh, for for a while, I I, I kind of was uh, looking at some things, and and there was a one that was called OSHA. Is this safe? And you knew just by just by the the, the kind of the title of that, you knew that it was not going to be safe. And you would see these individuals, you know, duct taping ladders together so that it would extend further. Uh, you, 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 you saw individuals, uh, taking, uh, ladders and putting them with them on cherry pickers and then lifting the cherry picker so that the ladder could get up there where they needed it to be because the cherry picker couldn't get that high. But yet if they put the cherry picker and a 30 foot extension ladder on there, they could get to it. And I just remember thinking to myself, that is a ridiculous thing. That is ridiculous. What my first job that I had to do. Uh, or part of what I had to do in my first job as a courtesy clerk for a grocery store was to change the light bulbs. Now, if you've ever been in one of these grocery stores, including like you go over to Rose Hours or something of that nature, 
go take a look at how high those are. Uh, and they whipped out this ladder and they said, scurry on up there. And I'm like, who's going to hold the ladder? Well, what do we need to hold the ladder for? I'm like, nobody's going to steady me? I'm like, no, just scurry up the ladder and change this, you know, uh, eight foot tube of, uh, you know, fluorescent lighting and uh, you just go ahead and do it. And I'm like, no. And they're like, you know, this is part of your job. This is, and I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm afraid of heights. I'm not doing this. <laughs> I was like, you're not getting me up there. Like, that, that was not part of what we discussed. And they're like, really? And I'm like, really? I'm not getting up there and doing that. Uh, it, to me, it was not safe in any way, shape, or form because the ladder, I mean, it was one of those, again, it was not really compliant. It was an old aluminum ladder. As I'm scurrying up there, touching electrical things, and I was like, this is just, no, this is just way too, no, I'm not doing this. But when we think about stuff like that, you, you, you see individuals videotaping themselves. And the reason is, is because they don't consider. They don't consider the actions. They don't consider the placement of the ladder. They don't consider what's going to be the aftermath if it falls. They don't consider who's going to get hurt. They don't consider how they're going to get hurt. All of these things is because people fail to consider. And here God is telling the nation of Israel, the one thing that you have to consider is that the Lord is God. You consider that the Lord is God. If we as individuals do not consider who God is and what he has done, then we are disregarding him in everything that we do. And here he's talking about how to keep the commandments, how to do exactly what he's supposed to do, be, uh, what he tells us to do. But he's being very specific and saying, you need to consider it in thine heart. This isn't something that we just, if you will, mull around in our brain. This is something that we consider in our heart. And when we consider it in our heart, we're talking about the affections of it. How does the truth that is listed there in verse 39, that the Lord, he is God in heaven above and heaven beneath, there is none else. How does that affect our heart? When we consider it, what does it do? And these are things that he wanted the nation of Israel to do. This is a consideration. Here's Solomon talking about considering the works. Turn over to chapter 8 of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 5. <clears throat> Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 5, and again, here he says, um, Thou shalt also consider in thine heart that as a man chasteneth his son, so the Lord thy God chasteneth thee. So he makes it very clear here, I'm going to correct you. The natural tendency is, as a father, you're going to chasten your son. As a natural tendency, God will also chasten us. That's, I mean, that's something that we need to consider. You know, there's, there's these individuals that run around today, and, and, I, and this is a, a very perverse doctrine. They run around as if the, God will not address their sin. They're like, well, I'm saved, born again, child of God, my sin is washed away, past, present, and future, praise the Lord. Uh, you know, I don't have to worry about it, so I'm going to go ahead and just do whatever I want to do, and it doesn't matter anymore. Because, hey, I'm saved. I don't think anybody's ever stopped to consider that. And if they did stop to consider it, they stopped to consider it to say, how is this going to benefit me? Not a matter of how is this going to, you know, grieve God? How is this going to uh, hinder the witness? How is this going to affect other people around me? They don't consider anyone else but themselves. 
And we see here very clearly that that's not the case that God wants us to consider. He wants us to truly think about it and say, look, if, if you are of the mindset that God isn't going to deal with you, then you're wrong. You need to consider this. God is going to chasten you the way he chastens, or the way the Father chastens the Son. Turn over to Psalm chapter 8. Psalm chapter 8. And, and, and there's many other considerations throughout Scripture, but, but but these are very clear ones in Psalm chapter 8. <clears throat> I'm talking about what we were talking about just a second ago about the works of the Lord. In Psalm chapter 8 and verse 1, it says, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name above all, thy, all, all the earth, who hast set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou might, uh, mightest still the enemy and the avenger. And he says here in verse 3, When I consider thy uh, thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou should that thou visitest him? You know, again, there's there's some prophecy that's involved in this specifically messianic in nature, but what we look at is the, the fact that that God is mindful of mankind. I am still absolutely fascinated by pictures. That these telescopes take. I am just, uh, I am just in awe. And they go and they take these pictures of nebula and galaxies and uh, all sorts of other things that are out there. And you just look at them and you can just stare at it for hours. And it is just, I mean, absolutely so beautiful. You get a telescope and you can do the same thing and just stare at it for hours. And seeing how, how intricate everything is put together and how the Lord has, has created these things. Um, to me, it just, it just, it just fascinates me. These things of astronomy just have, have always had a, a, if you will, kind of a, a pull towards me because uh, when I was early on, these verses were taught to me about the importance of stars and what the stars do and stars singing and everything else. I mean, all these cool things that you find in scripture. And man, I just, I just glommed onto that and I started studying things. Now I went a little too far and I, I wound up, uh, you know, having a, uh, a little bit of a fear. It was funny on, on Friday night, uh, um, uh, Lexi Hendrick was, uh, kind of doing a couple of little, uh, I don't necessarily call them games, but she was talking about, uh, um, uh, you know, getting to know each other. And she asked a question. She said, what is a fear that you had as a child and have you overcome that fear or when did you overcome it or how did you, so it's just, I mean, some really interesting thought provoking questions. And, uh, and it came to my turn. And I said, oh, I said, my fear as a child is that I would be abducted by aliens. Yeah, I spent a little too much time in astronomy. (laughs) It was, I was, I mean, forget robbers and people breaking in and things like that. I was more concerned about, you know, those uh, tall, slender, gray or green things coming in through windows or whatever and coming and trying to get me. To me, that was the terrifying thing. Now, obviously, I'm not that concerned about that. That's that, you know. I, I, I've matured in Christ. I understand uh, what, what what God talks about, and maybe if you want to, we can talk about that later on about what you think about aliens and what I think about aliens and what God says about aliens. So, He does talk about aliens in Scripture. Do you know that? It says the word aliens, but not the way you think. Okay. 
uh, he, didn't he say we were alienated from God because <laughs> we were not part of the, uh, over there in, in Ephesians chapter two? I mean, you know, when we think about it though, but God clearly outlined some things, but, but I, I look at this and, and I could consider all those things. And then it makes you think exactly how small we really are. And this is the big debate with astronomy, uh, uh, um, people that are out there and they're looking at all of these, uh, these, uh, things. They, they said they found another galaxy that may have two Earth-like planets surrounding it and so on and so forth. And, and I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. And they're, they're wondering if there's life on there. Why? Because they don't want to feel insignificantly small. They don't want to feel insignificantly small. You realize that if the universe is as big as they say it is, which I don't think they quite understand how big it is, I think it's much bigger than what they actually kind of think it is. Uh, that being said, you realize that here we are, uh, a speck on top of a speck on top of a speck on top of a speck of a speck of a speck of, of, of you know, one of those little things that you find on top of a, a, you know, a cupcake, one of those little round balls. And then, you know, you put that on top of another one. I mean, you know, just to kind of give you the insignificance of what we are, we're not even, you know, the comparable to a basketball in a room this size. We're comparable to a speck of dust in, a, in something this size. But yet God is mindful of every single last one of those specks of dust as we looked at this morning. God likes dust. Now, that may be, you know, some people may consider that and say, oh, that means I shouldn't dust. Well, <laughs> but you see, we, we, we need to consider that. That God would take time to really think about what you're going through. That he would stop and he would consider exactly what is going on in your life. Now, 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 some people may th- sit there and think, well, I, you know, it, it should be a situation where, where, where God's doing this for me and that for me and all the, well, just hold on a second. Before we start, you know, putting cart before the horse, let's just stop and how many times have we thanked God for just thinking about me? Thinking about us. And, and, and we have to begin to get that mindset in when we start considering God. I mean, and again, when we start talking about the course of things that happen, can we change God's hand? I mean, if God sets a certain path and he says, no, I'm, we're going to take a right-hand turn here. And somebody says, no, 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 I want to continue to go straight. You're, you are actively working against God. And have we considered what the end result of that would be? To go against the creator of the universe. Now, again, this is Solomon who's sitting there thinking about all of this and realizing, you know, if the God has set these paths and he set his ways, uh, how am I going to go around and take and make straight what he's made crooked? How can I go about doing that? I, I'm not, I'm not God. And if you ever want to stop and get some, if you will, humility about exactly who we are, go read how God responded to Job in the last part of Job. Job, were you there when I created the earth? No? Oh. (laughs) He goes through a whole list of questions that Job could not answer. And it clearly identified exactly the position that Job was in. He needed, number one, 
to really, truly trust God with the situation. Instead of trying to justify himself, he needed to justify God that God knew what he was doing. God knew what he was doing. As we take a look back over there in Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 7 and verse 14, here again he's talking about another situation, and and again this is a situation that we often have that mentality of we look on the prosperity of others and we look at them and we say, well, why don't I have what they have? Why don't I, why am I not this? Why don't I have that? And here he says in verse 14, he says, in the day of prosperity, be joyful, but in the day of adversity, consider. And, and this is a very key thing. One of the key things that individuals need to realize is the, 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 the prosperity that we have what its connection is. It's a spiritual connection. Because he says joyful. And joyful is, joy is a spiritual, a spiritual thing. It's a spiritual gift. It's a, it's a spiritual fruit or part of that spiritual fruit that we find over in Galatians chapter five. So this prosperity that he's talking about is not necessarily the prosperity of the things of this world. He says here, in the day of prosperity, be joyful. So if I'm to find, you know, the prosperity, and again, he just said, you know, money's a good defense, but money doesn't bring you life. But wisdom does. When I receive wisdom, I'm prosperous. And when we're talking about prosperous, we're talking about the very first question that he asked about profit in this life. Going back over there to the, to the extremely, you know, to that very first uh, chapter where he asks that question, what profit hath a man of all his labor which he taketh under the sun? So now we're looking at that prosperity. Now we're looking at that, that wisdom that is a spiritual, uh, um, uh, um, if you will, success, a spiritual uh, riches that are given to us. We take a look at that and we say, well, I, I'm prosperous. If God's given you wisdom from the Word of God, we should be joyful about it. If God has given us uh, some, some some intelligence that we can be able to to go through Scripture and find things, if God has given us uh, um, a, a way to learn and to increase and to grow in Him, then absolutely everything that we should be doing it should be a prosperous thing for us. It should be something that brings joy in our life. If we don't consider the prosperity of what God has given to us through his Holy Spirit, through his shed blood, through his word, and through all the benefits, as we saw this morning, and and, and the forgiveness of sins, and all of those, if we don't consider that, then we, uh, we're, we're purposely ignoring joy and we're leaving it on the table. Walking away from it. But as he talks about this a little bit further here, uh, in verse 14, he says, but in the day of adversity, consider. And he says, this is what we need to do. You need to stop for a second. When adversity comes into your life, let's not be the one that automatically cries and says, this is not fair. We shouldn't be the one that cries and says, I don't deserve this. We shouldn't be the one that laments the situation and says, you know, uh, oh, woe is me. When adversity comes in, the very first thing that you should stop and do is you need to be, cons- if you will, consider, number one, what is God trying to tell me? What is God trying to teach me? And as I said, what is God revealing unto me about himself? 
What work is he doing in my life that he is going to demonstrate to me at this point in time? Is he working on faith? Is he working on trust? Is he working on obedience? Is he working on uh, uh, whatever whatever area of our life that we need? We have to stop and consider that. And, and, and again, let, let, let's be clear about this. You know, we, we, we cling to those verses, be not deceived, God is not mocked, whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. You realize that Eliphaz in chapter, um, I believe it was chapter 4 and chapter 5, that's exactly what Eliphaz told Job. You're receiving the consequences of what you've done. Well, what had Job done? Well, he didn't know. Well, what had Job done? Well, according to God, he was perfect, upright, and he eschewed evil. He was even so concerned about evil that he would go and make sacrifices for his uh, for his sons and daughters in case they said something that they shouldn't have on their behalf. So, so th- th- there's no indication that there was ever anything of that. Now, it, now that is a truth that we will receive things as he very clearly pointed out. We saw over there about to consider that God will chastise those that He loves, and we understand that concept. But, but, but. The reaping and the sowing concept does not necessarily work with Job's life. That, that incident, that application of that doctrine was incorrect. You know what Job was reaping? Weeds. Weeds that he did not plant. I mean, isn't it an amazing thing? You go out there and you, you, you go and you work in your yard and you're taking care of your yard and you're, you go through and you make sure it's all well and manicured. We don't. We just, whatever grows, grows. If it's green, cool. You know, <clears throat> but you know, there's people out there and they go and they want to make sure that their, their, their lawn is like a, a, a golf course. You know what inevitably happens? A weed. You, you can't avoid it. God said you can't avoid it over in Genesis chapter 3. So you know what that is? You're reaping something that you never sowed. Something came up in your life, a weed in your lawn that you never, you didn't go out there and plant that blackberry. A bird came by and dropped it for you, fertilizer and all. Or the bunny rabbit did it. Or whatever it may be. I mean, you know, whatever critter came through and dropped that off and put that in your yard and then it began to grow and, and you go out there and what do you do? You have to take care of it. You have to pick it. You have to pluck it and get rid of it and things of that nature. Otherwise it grows to be a, a noxious weed and kills everything around it. But what we find is, is that Job was reaping something that was not related to any of his actions. He was reaping something that was that was outside of that. So the first thing he should have done is just stopped and considered and say, okay, well, God, what are you trying to teach me here? Not sit there and say, well, I don't deserve this, God. Can I have an audience with you so we can talk about this? There's a big difference between that response. But what we find here is, is that the main purpose behind this is in the rest of the verse, in verse 14, where, where, where he says, God also hath set one over against the other to the end that man should find nothing after him. So here we've got two things. We've got prosperity and we've got adversity. Both seem to be at odd with one another. 
And we look at that and he says, you know, they are contrary one to another. You're living a life that's prosperous. Adversity comes and messes things up. You have adversity in your life. Prosperity comes in and fixes things. They're set against each other, right? And he says there's a reason why that exists. There's a reason why that happens. And he said, you know, when you have adversity, you need to, number one, consider what's going on. And when you have prosperity, you need to be joyful in it. Because here's what he says. When you look at the situations, whether it's prosperous or whether it's adversity, it doesn't matter. The end is you will find nothing better than God. And that's what he says here. He says, he says to the end that man should find nothing after him. What, what, what exists after God? Nothing. What existed before God? Nothing. It's God. Now, some people will try to say, well, that's talking about mankind and that, uh, that there's nothing, you know, uh, afterwards and he's not bringing anything into the afterlife and things like that. Well, that doesn't make any sense then. It doesn't make any sense because, because think about that. There's nothing after him. So we're talking about what? We believe Jehovah's Witnesses that we just die and we just go to the grave and then it's over with? I don't know about you, but I, I, I fully intend when I pass from this life to the next, I'm opening my eyes and I'm looking at my Savior. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Amen? So when we realize that when we are in heaven and we have eternal life, uh, that, that verse doesn't fit. That verse doesn't fit. And you know what? Solomon knew that. Solomon knew there was an afterlife. Solomon knew what existed afterwards. Again, he's not a dullard. He's not a dunce. He's not somebody that is, if you will, ignorant of what God is doing and his ways and and the end result of what happens afterwards. So we realize here that this is talking about God. What's after God? Absolutely nothing. You know, let's put it this way. When we go through adversity, let's just take, a, a, you know, kind of a normal, standard, uh, semi-Christian response. And, I, and you'll, you'll follow what I'm saying with this. Adversity comes, the first part comes of, oh, this can't be happening. The denial, right? Immediately they become Egyptian. And... <laughs> Sorry, it's, it's Father's Day. I had to throw in a dad joke. <clears throat> so they deny it, right? And they say, no, uh, this this really can't be happening. Uh, then reality comes in and, and sets in, and they go, okay, well, they, and they accept that reality, but then they, they, they try to fight the reality. They try to fight a way to change the reality of what has happened and what has occurred. Um, I, I knew a woman one time, and uh her her husband was passing away from cancer and um uh her husband uh was in the hospital and uh she was there and he passed away and uh she called up some people that she had known and uh these guys came in and they were able they they claimed they were able to heal people and she says my 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 husband's passed away can can you come in and raise him from the dead in the hospital. And they're like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah we're going to come down and do this. They couldn't do it. 
And of course, they said, well, it's primarily because she didn't have enough faith. Oh, don't give me that. Don't give me that. I'm sorry, that's, that's, that's a cop-out. But, but the end result was uh, she was very disheartened by it. You know what she tried to do? She tried to change reality. She tried to change reality. And you can't do that. You can't do that. And then we try all sorts of other things. And then finally, when we seem to have exhausted everything, we try God, right? It's not the way it works. In a full Christian response, what do we do? Our first stop is God. Why? Because there isn't anything after him that we should try. It's not like God's going to fail us. So we have to begin to get to that understanding of what God's talking about here, and, and specifically when we start talking about that. And again, when we're prosperous and we're joyful, you know what else we do with that? We take a look at it and we go, well, that's that's my prosperity. My prosperity ends in Jesus Christ. It's not it begins in Jesus Christ and then all of a sudden I get all of these things and I get a Lamborghini and I get a, you know, a, a five million uh, square foot house or whatever it is and some, no, 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 no. My riches end in the riches of Jesus Christ. That's it. That's the end of it. Anything else that I have here on earth is incomparable to to to, to what God gives me with the eternal life, the home in heaven that I have. So we begin to realize that as he's talking about this here, he says, look, there's some things we need to consider. First and foremost, are we considering God in any, in any of these aspects? Are we trying to change God's mind? Are we trying to change the way he's working? Are we trying to change anything that's happening so that we will be more prosperous? Because, you know, sometimes people get prosperous and they're not joyful and they're not content. And the end result is, is they become unthankful and they want more. When people don't consider him in the time of adversity, all of a sudden God's not just any longer. So so there's a major issue that's there that Solomon is getting to, and, and that is God is sufficient. In, in, in all of Solomon's wisdom, the only thing that he can find is that God is sufficient. There isn't anything that you need after him. What else do you need? I mean, isn't, isn't that the way it works? I'll give you an example. Get a new phone. Is that the end of it? No, you, know, you got to get a case. And you got to get a screen protector. And then you got to get one of those little pop things on the back. And then, and then, and then what do you have to do? Then you gotta load those apps. And then you gotta do this. And then you gotta do that. And then you gotta show your friends. And then, I mean, you know, whatever it is, right? You, you, you understand what I'm saying? And I'm not, I'm not mocking anything about phones. I'm just, I'm using it because of a recent example. <laughs> but, but, but the end result is, is you, 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 it's not the end of it. You get a new car. Is that the end of it? No, because now you gotta maintain it. Now you gotta fill it up with gas. You gotta plug it into the charging port. You gotta get new tires on it. You gotta do basic maintenance. You gotta do all sorts of stuff. I mean, there's things that you have to do with it. It's not the end of it. But when we, when, when we consider who God is and consider His works and consider what He's done, consider what we should be joyful about and consider the adversity that comes in our life, the end result is we say, oh man, that's it. It's Him. 
There's nothing else. There's nothing else. Regardless of what outcome it is, prosperous or adversity, God is sufficient. God is sufficient. Verse 15 of Ecclesiastes chapter 7, he says, All things have I seen in the days of my vanity... Uh, all, there is a just man that perisheth in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man that prolongeth his life in his wickedness. Now, now here's what he's saying. We, we, we look at this, and he says, these are things that he's seen all the days of his life. He looks around, and he, all the vain things that he's been seeking in his life, all the vanity that he's talked about previous, all the things that he's sought out, he looks at life, and he finds a very skewed hue to it. If he's not using God. Because we're talking about vanity. We're talking of the absence of God in these things that he's looking at. And what did he see? He saw something that he viewed as, if you will, some sort of horrible thing. Where somebody that was righteous, somebody that was a good person, has a short life, but somebody that seems to be a wicked individual continues to live on and continue in their wickedness. And, and, and I will tell you, a lot of times people will have that mindset. They will have that mindset. And, and, and it's, it's a tough one to think about here because as we, we think about this, yet, you know, the righteous are going to die and the wicked are going to live. Uh, it, it may seem to us on face value to be unfair, to be unjust. But, but what he's getting at in this is, is this question of, when we look at it with, with, the, with, with the eyes of man, when we look at it through vanity, it's going to seem that way. It's going to seem that way. Why? Because we're looking at quantity of time versus quality of time. Quantity of time versus quality of time. Now, again, this, this is part of the, you know, if you will, the fruitfulness of a Christian. You know, there may be a Christian that does not produce a lot of fruit. And he says very clearly that people are going to produce fruit at a different rate and at different quantities. Some 30-fold, some 60-fold, some 100-fold. So not everybody's going to produce the same amount. But what needs to be is it needs to be good quality fruit according to the spiritual guidelines uh, that are set forth in Galatians chapter 5. So, so very clearly he wants a quality style fruit. You ever get bad produce? There is a place that we go when we know we have to grab produce or something and we have to grab produce from there. We know that we have about a day to eat it because if we don't, it'll go bad. Even if we, you know, do everything you're supposed to do with it, it will go bad. They don't produce quality or they don't buy quality produce. It's just the way it is. There's some places that you can buy something and it will just last and last and last and last and last. And you're like, wow, what kind of mutant thing did they do inject in it? And you would, you know, to, to make it last that long. But, but, you know, it, it's just, there's certain things that, 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 that have better quality than others. And it all depends on how, what you feed that fruit or specifically feed that tree to produce that fruit. And the same thing is true here. Because he starts talking about it in, in the next few verses, in verse 16 and verse 17, he talks about the different lifestyles. He talks about the different lifestyles. And he says, here, here, here's one of the things that, that, that happens. 
we get into this mentality of, of cutting days short on ourselves. And a lot of it can happen with various different things. He says in verse 16, he says, be not righteous over much. Now, he's not saying, again, um, in, in a situation, don't be over-righteous. Don't be too good. That That's not what God's saying here, okay? What he's talking about is when you start amassing so many things in your life. When you have all of this that you've heaped under yourself, because remember, we're looking at this under the eyes of vanity. In the eyes of vanity, we've seen all of these individuals heap these things under themselves and they begin to increase their goods and increase all of this and increase all of that. And he's saying, look, you know, you, you, you need to realize that if you've got all these things, you need to be content in with what little things you do have. But if you are trying to be righteous and you're trying to pull in all these other things, you're still using the things and the thought processes of the world to heap things unto yourself. It will end, in, a, if you will, in a shorter lifespan. He says, neither make thyself over wise. Where people are sitting there and, and if you will, trying to uh, be over other individuals, trying to, uh, if you will, get the one up on someone else trying to be the top person that has all the authority and has all the knowledge over everyone else. Look, you're never going to know everything. You're just not. Our, our brains can't handle it. I mean, we, we, we still get discreet errors upstairs. We still sometimes it goes 404, file not found. Uh, sometimes it just does the, the Windows crash theme. Boom, boom. We, you know, it just ends. But the, but, but the fact is, you're never going to know everything. You have to be understanding of that and realize I don't know everything about everything. I can't be desirous to be over everyone that is wise because there's going to be somebody that's wiser than me and they're going to have authority in that issue more than I will. And what happens in this life is there's individuals that get into these mindsets and sometimes they cut their life short. They may be doing what seems to be the right things, but the problem is, is they're going about doing things the wrong way. They may not be going about actively sinning in, the, in, in certain uh, ways, but their mindset and their heart intent they're not considering what they're going for. They're not considering what they're looking for. They're, they're, they're pursuing those things of money without realizing that, hey, it's the wisdom of God that brings the life. So here they are trying to be righteous over a lot of money. And sometimes people think that. And they pray, God, oh, if you just let me win the lottery, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll give you half. Well, God doesn't need that. He doesn't need your money. God has taken care of uh, of millions of Christians uh, across the face of this earth with nothing. Did he need millions of dollars to feed Elijah? No. He sent a raven. They gave him meat from who knows where. <laughs> Elijah wasn't picky. <laughs> He's like, oh, I'm going to eat it. And that meal, you know, the meals that he had and things that, you know, that lasted... For, 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 for weeks at a time and how God took care of them, how God took care of the, of the nation of Israel with, with manna and water from a rock. But again, that wasn't sufficient for them. They wanted more. 
They wanted to be content with the garlic and the leeks and the fish. They wanted God, they wanted to dictate to God his works. They wanted to tell God, this is how I want my, 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 my burger. Because I want it my way. And when you make it and you provide for me, God, here's how you're going to do it. You're going to do this and 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 you're going to do this. Are we in agreement? And then there's silence. (laughs) But God has provided for years, decades, centuries, millennium, those that fear him and love him and keep his commandments. Because that's what he's getting at here. Rather than going about and and seeking all the money and everything of this life, how about we seek out the wisdom of God? How about we seek, rather than for position and power, and if you will, end our life early? Because that's what he says here in in, in verse 16. He says, why shouldest thou destroy thyself? You ever see somebody that just, I mean, they just destroy themselves um, because they just... They just got too much. They too much. It happens. I have a tendency to try to take on too much, but I also there's a point in time where my where it's very clear. God says, "You you no you're you're full, but no you're full, but no." (laughs) The other day was one of those days, and I was just like. Not dealing with anything else today. I've already got enough on my mind. I'm done. <laughs> I don't care. You know, they could call up tomorrow and say that the world was ending. I'd be like, nah, not even going to think about it. Not even going to enter my mind. I'm going to deal with what I got to deal with today. But it might affect, I don't care. <laughs> it's just like, I didn't care. Because it comes a certain point where you got to realize you'll destroy yourself. So destroy yourself. Now, that's not an excuse to be lazy. What it is, is that you need to take what God has given you, and you need to use it for him, and you need to use your whole heart to do it unto him, to please him, not to please mankind. Because in verse 17, he says there, he says, be not over much wicked. He's like, look, don't try to seek to rule over the wicked people. Don't try to, to dictate to them. You know, and, and, and to a degree, sometimes people want to come in and they want to legislate morality. They want to ban this, they want to ban that, and things of that nature. Great. You know what? You can't legislate morality. We've tried that before. We've tried that before. Look, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there should, I'm full, yeah, we should bring back the 18th Amendment. We should have prohibition. We should ban alcohol. Why? Because it's more of a killer than guns ever was. I mean, come on. Let's just get, let's just get real about this. We should, we, we should absolutely, absolutely, look, this is why I'll never run for office because somebody's going to take this and post this on the internet. We should absolutely ban marijuana again. Why? Have you, one thing that, you know what they're not talking about? The amount of DUIs from marijuana. Oh, it's a harmless drug. Not when you drive on it. <laughs> Other people are dying because of it. But people want to legislate it. But here's the issue is you can't legislate God. 
So what we see here is he's making it very clear. He's like, don't try to be over all of these things. And he says, look, don't be foolish. He says, neither be thou foolish. Don't have the mindset that you don't need God in your life. Why? Well, he says, why shouldst thou die before thy time? <laughs> That's a very strange way to put things, isn't it? Have you ever wondered where that came from? Die before your time? It's a scriptural principle. Something that God said, just like a little bird told me and everything else, right? The skin of my teeth, all of that. Scripture. People are like, oh, I don't believe in God. And then they turn around and they use like three of those in one sentence. And you're sitting there going, really? You want to know where you got those from? Where? The Bible. No, I didn't. Yeah, okay, whatever. <clears throat> and like Again, without excuse, without excuse. But but here he is saying both of these. You know what happens? You destroy yourself. You 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 cut short your life, because the object is not to go through and think about the length of time, but it's to be thinking about what we did with the time. Verse fifteen. We look at it the wrong way. Well, it's just not fair. Well. If you use your life to glorify and please God and, and, and do all of that, then then absolutely it's just because you've done what God has asked you to do. You've feared him and you've kept his commandments. You've done your whole duty. What more does he ask for? There's nothing else to do after him. We begin to see how all this comes together. And he says right here in this next verse, <clears throat> something that is very, very, very prominent, very, very uh, important as well. It is good that thou shouldest take hold of this. You know what a lot of people don't do is they don't take hold of the word of God. They don't take hold of the word of God. They let it go. You know, our soul is described as having human body parts like our flesh. Eyes, ears, mouth, nose, um, feet, legs, hands, arms, all of those things, heart and a mind, things of that nature. And with that, we should understand that as this is a spiritual book, we should lay hold of it. He says we're supposed to hold forth the word of life. Now, does that mean that I go walking around like this the whole time? I go walking through Walmart with a Bible hold out like this, and then as I'm walking through, I hit people in the face with it. <laughs> Probably fit in, but you know. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's Walmart anyways. But no. Well, how do we hold forth the word of life? Well, number one, we follow his commandments. We do what he tells us to do. We go out there, we preach the gospel. We, we, we tell people about Jesus Christ. We tell them the need for a savior. We tell them that they're going to die in their sins if they don't have it, have him. Um, you know, we, we, we do things of that nature. But again, he, he uses the word hold. And here the same thing where he says, you know, you need to take hold of this. When you take hold of something, you're holding it. It's yours. You say, well, it doesn't belong to you. Well, haven't we ever heard of that, you know, possession is nine-tenths of the law? There's actually, a, a you know, a, a charge that's called holding. When you're holding material that should not, you should not be holding. 
when it's a possession and you, you know, they go in there and they're like, oh, this isn't my car. Or the famous one is, these aren't my pants. That's a frequent one with cops. And they start going through and they start frisking and they're like, is there anything that's going to stick me, poke me, or hurt me? No. You have any drugs or anything on you? No. And then they go in and they pull out like three or four dime bags and they're like, really? No drugs? Oh, I don't know how that got in there. As a matter of fact, these aren't even my pants. How many of us have problems wearing other people's pants? Man, sometimes I have a hard time just going to the store finding pants that fit me. But seriously, you know, I'm one of those weird inseam lengths. 30 is just a little too too short. 32 drags on the ground. And it's just like, so what do I have to do? I have to pull up my pants or lower them down and be like the rest of the world, you know? (laughs) Nobody wants to see that. But, you know, again, it's ridiculous. And they, they make this defense of like, oh, no, no, no. But you were holding it. It was in your possession. When we talk about holding on to these things, he's saying this is something that we should hold on to that we should never get rid of. We even use that phrase when we go through things. You ever go through the stuff that you have in your house and go, well, you know what, I'm going to hold on to that. Because I don't know whenever I'm going to use that certain screw, even though it goes to something that I've never used in my entire life. <clears throat> because I may need that at some point in time. I've got a, I've got a bin full of that stuff. And I'm looking at it the other day. I walked past it and I'm like, man, I need to do some purging. That needs to go. But then as soon as I get rid of it, guess what? I'm going to need it. Keep telling myself that little lie in my head, even though that time has never come. But you know what he says? It's good that you should hold this. Take hold of it. Make it your own. Personalize this principle. That God is sufficient. That God's all-knowing. That there's nothing after him. That, 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 That all knowledge ends with him. And he's also the beginning of all knowledge. I mean, it, it, just to even think about that. Don't, don't enter into these mindsets where we start worrying ourselves and doing things that are going to cut our life short. We focus on the wisdom of God. He says, it is good that thou shouldst take hold of this. Yea, also from this withdraw not thine hand. Withdraw not thine hand. <clears throat> when, when, when you've got your hand out, and somebody's putting something in it. I'm, I'm going to use a very personal illustration. If I hold my hand out, and you've got a bag of jelly beans, I'm not going to withdraw my hand until it's to the point where I can't hold anything anymore. But do you know what happens in a lot of Christians' life? One jelly bean goes in, and we pull the hand back. That's all I get. How long did you hold your hand out? How long did you wait for God? Another jelly bean. Ooh. You're like, two more going. You're like, ooh. And you pull it back. Why'd you bring your hand back? You know, that's the way wisdom is with God. We have to take hold of these things. We shouldn't withdraw from the doctrines of, of God. And I'll tell you, that's one of the most dangerous things. 
There, there are people that won't teach doctrines because they're, they're, they're afraid that it's going to be too much for the people. No. You need to teach the doctrines of God. That's a principle. That's what every pastor, every preacher, uh, every Sunday school teacher, every junior church teacher, you need to pr- teach those principles. You need to teach those doctrines. But very clearly, he says, don't withdraw from it. Why? He says, for he that feareth God shall come forth of them all. In the end, you know who's the last man standing? The guy that says, I am fearing God. I am fearing God. And that's generally the way that the the, the world um, doesn't want to look at it. They don't want to look at the good guy. You know, there's always that, that, that concept of where they say the good guy finishes last. That, man, that always irritated me when somebody said that. Because it meant I had to be crooked in order to get ahead. But what if being last means I'm actually first? Man, somebody said that. I can't remember. <laughs> Jesus Christ said that. And who's going to come forth in the end? The one that has trusted Christ, the one that has feared him, the one that is doing what God wants him to do, that is the man that is found standing. That's the one that comes forth. That's the one that has, if you will, profit in the life that God has given him. Next week we'll pick up and hopefully get through the, the last part of this chapter where he he talks about some things with, you know, yeah, People are going to make some mistakes. People are going to make some big ones. And how do we go about dealing with that? How do we how do we deal with wisdom? How do we deal with uh, when people um, do things that are not right? And some of those uh, things that happen in our lives and those decisions and choices we make. But we're, we'll we'll take a look at that, Lord willing, next week. But let's go ahead and be dismissed with a word of prayer, dear Heavenly Father. Again, I thank you for this time. I thank you again, Lord, for what you teach us and. And Lord, as we looked at these passages, Lord, I pray that we would see the connection between them all. That above all, Lord, uh, it comes down to who you are and that you are the end of everything. And that, Lord, at the same time, we look at you, that if we are fearing you and we are doing what you have asked us to do, that, Lord, you are the one that takes care of us. And that, Lord, you should be our all in all, our everything, and it should never end. Um, I should never look for anything beside you, Lord. Lord, again, I just thank you for this day you've given to us. I pray you take us home safely tonight. And Lord, uh, be with us throughout the VBS program through this week, that Lord, it would be a time to please you, honor you, glorify you, teach children your words um, and what principles and doctrines you have for us. And these things I ask and pray in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.